Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. Black Mirror, the excellent Netflix anthology series, is back for a sixth season in less than a week. And as a preview of that season, I'm going to give you a review of the previous episodes of the show. And if you haven't watched the show or haven't watched it in a while, my suggested order in which to watch those episodes to ease your way into the world of Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror. Before we get to that, a few other notes. If you have Peacock, you'll be able to watch the entire season of Based on a True Story, a series starring Kaylee Cuoco and Chris Messina from the same production team of The Boys on Amazon Prime. And so and I will be watching at least half of that season, if not more, and discussing it on Monday's episode. So stay tuned for that. Let me show you how this will play out. Three, two, one. I love it. Oh, do you? It's all anyone can talk about. What the fuck is this? How the fuck is this? So this is a British series, by the way, that began production in 2011, I believe was the first season. And I remember watching this. It was not available in the US for many, many years and hearing about it for years and eventually finding bootlegs of it on the internet. There was no other way to get your hands on that at the time. And then in 2016, Netflix acquired the first two seasons of the show, the British episodes, and also funded the third season and has funded it since. We have had a third, a fourth and a fifth, a very short fifth season. Now we have a sixth season with five different episodes and also a feature length choose your own adventure movie called Bandersnatch, which is more than a movie length, depending on how many times you walk through the many different plot lines within that series. I think the entirety of it is like 34 hours or longer. And these shows, you can honestly watch just one if you want to. You can watch all of them if you want to. There are some minor Easter eggs, things that are referenced in one episode, pop up in a different one. But that's really just a wink to the hardcore fans. There's very, relatively little added value in watching all of it if you want to just hop around. And there are episodes that are definitely better than others. Black Mirror was written by a comedian, primarily at the time, Charlie Brooker, who was very famous for doing these year-end recap episodes uh, on the BBC, and started making this very dark and satiric, definitely, and a comedic sometimes, but sometimes so unbelievably bleak that even the jokes curdle. But we're exploring our contemporary culture and extrapolating ideas of how we use our technology and what is the logical conclusion of this technology that we're so addicted to today. And this is 2011 when we started having these conversations. And they're the same conversations we have at this very moment and predicts a lot of what's happened to our culture. If you start from the beginning, and you see some of these episodes all the way back in 2011, it's kind of shocking how predictive it has been of what's happened to our society, really just metaphorically though, because as you'll see, I'll walk through some brief synopses, all spoiler-free, by the way. I'll give enough context for those who do know the episodes to remind you of what the episode is without spoiling it for any of you who've never watched the show. But when you hear these outlines of ideas, you'll see that these are things that we are still very, very preoccupied now, and of course, with advancements in AI recently, all of this is more pressing than ever. But first, let me give you 
outlines of the episodes that are coming in this upcoming season of the show, which of course, once again, I'll be covering here in the podcast next week, reviewing all those episodes with spoilers. So do watch and then listen to the podcast accordingly. Okay. The first episode, I love this idea, by the way, the episode is called Joan is Awful. And this story is of a woman, just an average woman, nothing uniquely spectacular in her day-to-day life. And she is flipping through an analog of Netflix, basically. I think it's called Streamable in this episode. And she happens upon a television series starring Salma Hayek, a much more glamorous version of herself. And it turns out this show is an adaptation of her life. (laughs) No one's ever paid her for her life rights. But this show is documenting things that have actually happened to her. And wackiness ensues. I love this idea that your life could be so nondescript that maybe it is the plot of a show, or maybe that it's so on the nose that it has to be some kind of surveillance. And then, you know, the paranoia that would probably instill in you. Okay. Episode two is called Lock Henry. A couple is making a documentary about a monster at a lock out in Scotland. And they start to unravel the mystery around this story. Not tons of details here. Some of the stars in this, John Hanna and Mahala Herald from Industry, for anybody who watches Industry. Another show that, by the way, we will be covering this upcoming season of Industry here on the podcast. Episode three is called Beyond the Sea. And we have an alternate past, 1969. And all it says here is that these are the consequences of a disaster in 1969. And in the images around the show, we see the actors in spacesuits. So we assume this is maybe an alternate history where the moon mission failed. That's all speculation on my part. Cast members include Josh Hartnett, Kate Mara, Aaron Paul, and others. Fourth episode is called Maisie Day. Once again, this one seems more and more vague. We have the always riveting Zazie Beats starring with Danny Ramirez in an episode where all we know is that a troubled starlet is dogged by invasive paparazzi while dealing with the consequences of a hit and run incident. So can't really get a feel for what that one might be about. In episode number five, another very intriguing premise. This episode is called Demon 79. And in it, we have an alternate 1979 where a meek woman is threatened by a demon and she must commit horrible acts to prevent terrible disasters from happening. So that all sounds very intriguing. To be totally blunt about this, it sounds like those first two episodes (laughs) in the list of five seem to be the most interesting, maybe most well-developed. And as I break down some of these episodes of my preferences in the show previously, I think there definitely is this variability in quality in how sometimes it's just a good idea, sometimes it's good execution with a bad idea at its core, and it really feels like maybe those first two episodes of this list are the most well-fleshed out. But we'll know in just a week. Okay, if you're new to Black Mirror, I think this is the suggested way to watch the series, to kind of ease your way in, especially if you are sci-fi skeptical. This is science fiction, but not hardcore science fiction. It's not about aliens and rocket ships. It's about speculating on our relationship with current technology and how we extrapolate that out five, 10 years, or how we read some of these things, more high concept sci-fi as metaphors for things that are already happening in our current society which by the way, is the kind of science fiction that I gravitate to anyway. Okay, my suggested entry point to this series is season three, episode one. This is not my favorite episode of the show. I'll tell you which one that is. This is probably in my top five, but I suggest it as your starting point because the earlier episodes of the show, the first two seasons are British. They're made on a relatively small budget. 
Meanwhile, Nosedive is the first episode of the first season that was sponsored by Netflix. So you have the Netflix budget, you have stars in it. This episode, Nosedive, stars Bryce Dallas Howard, just to name one recognizable face, and is directed by Academy Award-nominated director Joe Wright. So the direction is a cut above. And co-written with Charlie Brooker, with Rashida Jones, just to name one of his co-writers, who we, of course, we've just seen recently in Silo. So you have the bigger budget, you have stars, you have some some humor here that humanizes some of the darkness, and you have this premise itself. Here we are seven years past this episode premiering, and it's a society where everybody gets star ratings for all their interactions. So you have this Bryce Dallas Howard, Howard character who is a really nice person, but really because she worries about her star ratings, like you, the way that you rate your Uber driver or your food delivery person, people give them give each other star ratings for all their interactions. So you literally walk around with this contact lens in, and when you look at somebody, you can see their star rating, and you're always just trying to be on your best behavior. You want to have a good star rating. It's that social pressure. I think the one unforeseen thing in this really fascinating episode of television, if you're just acting nice, basically what it asks is, if you're just asking acting nice for the rewards, does it make you a worse person inside? And even if you are satisfied with this societal frame, it just means that all your interactions are artificial. The ironic part of this concept is who could have foreseen seven years later <laughs> that considering all we really want is attention, and that's all that the internet actually incentivizes, that we now live in a world where you need to have a five-star rating and police everything you say, or be the most absolutely horrible, toxic person in the world even if you don't believe the things you're saying, just because it gets you more attention. We live in an, an attention-based economy, which is a constraint in a completely different way. And that episode, once again, is called Nosedive. Okay, now that you have a feel for Black Mirror, there's usually a twist, a dark commentary on our current society. We're going to go back to the OG series for episode number two, all the way back to the season finale, the third. There's only three episodes in the first season of the show, by the way. So very quick binge, by the way, if you wanted to watch all of it. We're jumping to the third episode of season one, an episode called The Entire History of You. Once again, this is not my favorite episode, but still very high up there in that top five, I'd say. And in this episode, we live in a society where you have an implant behind your ear that records everything you see your whole entire life. So you can go and relive at any time, any particular moment in your life. And you see the logical consequences of this. Obviously, what Brooker is expounding on, this is 2011, once again, this is just the first year that Facebook becomes massive and global. It's the idea of what happens when all these pictures, your entire history is stuck on the internet at every time and takes it one step for, further. What happens when you can actually go and relive those moments? And you can share them, by the way. You can actually plug into the television and project it onto the screen. And this leads to really terrifying consequences. Our protagonist, played by Toby Kebbell, and written, by the way, by Charlie Brooker with Jesse Armstrong, the showrunner of Succession. And for example, Toby Kebbell's character comes home and wants to see if he really screwed up his presentation at work. So he plays it again and again, and he fixates on it. Then he, for example, later on, suspects that his wife might be flirting with one of his friends. So he plays back that memory over and over again. And it gets even worse than that. When he and his wife have sex, this is one of the most shocking moments in the episode, when he and his wife have sex, they actually play back previous, more satisfying 
sexual encounters. <laughs> so it becomes this hall of mirrors where nothing can actually be happening anymore because all you're ever doing is living your current moment in the context of previous moments. And it becomes this suffocating trap. And I think there are many people who are trapped in that with social media, but here is a horrifying potential expansion of that. Once again, that's the entire history of you, the third episode of season one. Okay. My number three episode for you to watch is perhaps my favorite episode of the show. It's the very next episode in sequence beyond the entire history of you. It's called Be Right Back. And this episode stars Haley Atwell and Damol Gleason. And this was from 2013 when the show came back for its second season. And in this episode, Haley Atwell has suffered the loss of her boyfriend, played by Damol Gleason, is pregnant at the time. So now she has a baby and she is depressed and isolated. And there's a new technology that gets emailed to her. Someone sends her a link. And what they could basically do is look at all of a person's social media posts. So this is very relevant now. We're seeing this happening, the current AI technology. And what they can do is, based on all of their social media posts and audio that you might upload, photographs you may have, they create a virtual version of this person. And she has an app where she can suddenly start to speak with her deceased fiance. I believe they're not married in the episode yet. And this is heartbreaking and romantic and sad and tragic and disturbing by the end of it. Things escalate, as you could imagine. But for a long period of time, this is very soothing for her. And you can imagine how addictive this would be. And as I mentioned, we are on the cusp of this technology or perhaps have already achieved it. This is a great episode of TV and more relevant now than ever. And it's called Be Right Back. It is very sad, <laughs> I would say. You're going to have all the feels in this episode. And that's why, even though it's my favorite of the show, I kind of pushed it down a little bit. Okay, for episode four, my fourth favorite, or my suggested fourth, it's not my fourth favorite, although it may actually be my fourth favorite as well. The fourth in the sequence, I would suggest, we're going back to that first season on Netflix, the third season canonically, the fourth episode, and it's called San Junipero. And this is another romance, nowhere near as dark as the previous episode. Some people only know this episode. It won a bunch of Emmy Awards. It is one of the most popular episodes. You can absolutely watch it on its own. It's extra long, so you can basically just watch it as a film. So many people are familiar with this episode, and some people don't even know that this is part of the Black Mirror season, because I think Netflix, when they won all those awards, just started recommending it to people as like basically a movie. And it's called San Junipero. And the less you know about this, the better off you are, because the way it reveals itself, it becomes more and more tragic in many ways and disturbing as well. But this is, in the end, really a very emotional and sweet romance between these two women who meet each other in this place. It's very hard to understand. Are we in some kind of video game world? Are they actually in limbo? There's something going on. It's taking place in the 80s. And that's all I'll say. Beyond that, I'll just let you know that there is a science fiction element to it, which doesn't reveal itself right away. And it has a really emotional punch. I mean, this is a really wonderful, beautiful episode. And both of the actresses give great performances here. The two leads, Gugu Mabatha Raw, I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, <laughs> and Mackenzie Davis, who's always great. They're both always great. Okay, I move all the way to episode number five to get to what I consider to be the absolute best episode of this show an episode called White Christmas. Many of you may be aware of this, obviously, if you're from the UK. There's a tradition where some of the most popular shows, for example, The Office, the original Office, would have 
Christmas specials. So they will have a one hour, sometimes a longer, sometimes just episode length, sometimes even longer Christmas specials that will air right around Christmas time, even oftentimes the day of Christmas. So of all <laughs> strange Christmas traditions, they decided at the end of season two of Black Mirror to ironically or sincerely have a Christmas special, and it's called White Christmas. And perhaps this is the greatest achievement that the series has ever had. This is basically an omnibus, a anthology within an anthology, multiple stories told within this framework of Christmas stories, and many recognizable faces across these multiple episodes. Most recognizable of all, of course, is the framing device and more. He does appear multiple times within these sub-stories. John Hamm, this is back when he was still making Mad Men, and even before Netflix even acquired the series, Hamm has always picked some interesting projects to work on and really has not had the kind of traditional career he could have had as a leading man following Mad Men. And there's a whole digression on that, but I won't bore you with it right now. But just to say that this is maybe near the beginning of this picking interesting topics or helping interesting things get made by attaching his name to them. And I won't even spoil this. I will just let you know that there is a framing device set in what looks to be like a winter cabin. And Ham is there with another person and he's telling them stories, these dark fables of things that actually happened. And we see these different dark short films inside of this longer story, as you would expect from a kind of anthology movie. For me, it's the most well-executed of all of these. The stories get to be funny sometimes. They get to be very, very dark sometimes. And they end with this incredibly dark twist at the end that I will not spoil for you here. It is just an incredibly impressive and trenchant look at the risks of some of these technologies. Very well-written, very well-performed. And it is kind of a cheat that it gets to have all these little sub-stories <laughs> to flesh itself out, but really excellent work. Something that I think in general with these longer episodes beyond this one, Black Mirror has never really approached. Okay, number six, we're going all the way back to season one, the very first season, the very second episode of that first season, an episode called 15 Million Merits. Now, I watched this show in chronological order, and we'll get around to the first episode of the show ever. And I remember tracking it down after hearing all this buzz and downloading these illegal episodes and watching the very first episode and was ironic and twisted and disturbing. And we'll get to it. It's not one of my favorites. But as successful as it was at its very, very dark worldview, it was so off-putting in a lot of ways that I'm like, do I want to commit <laughs> to watching this show? Really? Do I? So I almost pulled the plug before I even got started on this thing. But then I did said, okay, well, the second episode is downloaded also. This was you know excruciating slow download speeds at the time, for me anyway. So I'm like, all right, well, let me check out episode number two. 15 Million Merits. And I loved this episode. It is one of the absolute darkest episodes of the show, but I think it is so impressive in what it is trying to say about society. It's basically a world in which people seem to just live inside of these pretty luxurious compounds. They just exercise all day. They just consume content all day. And to get some of their rewards, if they don't have enough merits, they have to watch ads for everything. And it's as if we had to live our entire lives within a America's Got Talent or America's, or I guess Britain's Got Talent type structure. It's this merging of the fact that we live in this attention economy where everything needs to be advertisements and buying things on Amazon 
and empty lives just other than consuming things, whether that be content or actual things you purchase, and performing for this audience, in this case, these actual judges, but you can extend that to being people who perform their lives on social media, for example, and how utterly exhausting that is. And it captures for me the anxiety of this constant. I mean, I think about how I just try to read an article sometimes and I can't, there's just ads and videos and then the browser crashes and it just like, I just am exhausted <laughs> by the constant advertisements and the constant performance of the modern world. And this is obviously not a realistic portrayal of it, but it is a metaphorical one that is claustrophobic <laughs> in the way it's performed and has, of course, an extremely dark twist at the end. And our star here is Daniel Kaluuya, years before, of course, he appeared in Jordan Peele's films and won an Academy Award, etc. So years before then, with his original British accent. This, song, this uh, episode also features a song that has become, you'll recognize this song. It's been used in so many movies now, so many TV shows. And that is season one, episode two, 15 Million Merits. Number seven, we're going to go into horror territory, everybody. This is from season two. Once again, these are the pre-Netflix British episodes, which by the way, just to be clear, these are available on Netflix also. So this is all available on Netflix. And this episode is called White Bear. And the less I say about this, the better. This is for about three quarters of its running time, a straight up horror film. You have our protagonist wakes up. She has no memory and is being stalked by these zombie-like folks with their cell phones. Nobody helps her as she's being hunted down by serial killers with all these different kinds of weapons. And as I mentioned, there's no release until very late in this story when there is a twist, which I obviously will not spoil here. But for the most of its running time, this is truly terrifying. My wife, for example, really does not like horror. <laughs> and I remember watching this episode with her. She's like, oh no. <laughs> but even she appreciated this by the end. And once again, I can't even explain to you what's so interesting about this. Some of the revelations that come later in the episode make you recontextualize everything in the episode up to that point. It makes you feel complicit in something, which of course we feel like you think about reality TV shows. And I feel how complicit are we in some of the horrible things that I think are perpetrated on these people in the course of these reality TV shows. And do stick around. I don't know if Netflix tries to cut off the credits, but do try to watch the credits through to the end because some of the darkest subtext of this entire episode is in the credit sequence at the end. I don't remember if Netflix tries to do that whole thing where they jump out of the credits, which they always love to do, but do make sure you stick around for the credit sequence. And that episode, once again, is called White Bear, and it is the second episode of the second season. Number eight for me is Hated in the Nation which is from season three, once again, the inaugural Netflix season of the show, the final episode. It's very long, movie length, and it definitely has its issues, but I really enjoyed this. I'm a fan of The X-Files. This very much feels like an episode of The X-Files, and in it, there is some kind of new technology, some kind of insect technology where they use robots to, for example, pollinate plants. And someone on the internet has hijacked these insects and basically they set up a Twitter poll and they say, who's the most hated person in England right now? And they basically kill this person based on the social media votes. And you can imagine this metaphor is very trenchant now where you think these ways that people get quote unquote canceled and the limitations of that. People keep saying they're canceled and they keep yelling at me on the platform they supposedly were canceled on, <laughs> telling me that they're canceled, even though they won't shut up somehow. <laughs> so there's different forms of cancellation, although there definitely are cancellations, by the way. But here is a literal cancellation. And imagine the extent where 
people can just react to a headline. I'm sure we've all had that experience of seeing people getting the story wrong because they're just reacting to a tweet or a subtweet of a subtweet and maybe one line out of an entire article out of context. They never even read the original article and overreacting. And imagine if that could be a literal death sentence. And that is a nightmarish scenario that is explored here. It's a little too long and it has a almost like action adventure elements to it at different sequences in there, which I like because it really felt like an X-Files episode to me, right? Sometimes it has little action in it, a little suspense, a little mystery. I, I enjoyed this a lot and it's called Hated in the Nation. And it's the sixth episode, the final episode of the third season of the show. Okay. Whereas the third season of the show, the first one on Netflix with those big Netflix budgets, I've called out most of those episodes already. You'll notice I have not yet at all mentioned the fourth season because this one was very, very uneven. There were some really solid episodes here. None of them though are near the top of the list. And there's a lot of clunkers here. But the for me, my favorite is an episode, another bit of a romantic one called Hang the DJ. The twist in this one, which I will not reveal once again, I will not reveal these twists, is more relevant now than ever before. <laughs> and I can't tell you why. Maybe I'll have a conversation in a couple of weeks where I spoil some of these episodes and bring a guest on to discuss them. But in this episode, we have a romantic pairing. These characters live in a resort of some kind and are paired off into romantic couples. And the app tells them exactly who they're going to date. And the day it says, well, your time is up. You need to move on to your next partner. You have no choice in the matter. You can blindly look at how long the amount of time that relationship is left. So for example, if you're stuck in a really tedious relationship, you can always know when that expiration date is. However, if you do look at the expiration date, you could potentially change the expiration date. And we primarily follow one couple, Georgina Campbell and Joe Cole, although they pair up multiple times throughout the course of the episode, but mostly it's them exploring this strange dating ritual that they are stuck in. And this one has a very clever twist, as I mentioned, that is more relevant today than ever before. But also for anybody who's been stuck on the dating apps <laughs> and feels like this is what your life is like, then I think you'll appreciate this one for sure. And honestly, this is near the middle of the pack as far as quality for the season. But for this season, for this fourth season, it's probably the best they do. And it's a pretty solid episode, I have to say. Definitely fun. Okay, for number 10, we're going back to that third season of the series, an episode called Playtest, directed by former podcaster Dan Trachtenberg and starring Wyatt Russell. Wyatt Russell plays a gamer who signs up to play a new revolutionary video game that basically plugs into your brain. And he starts to lose what is real and what is not real. This episode gets dinged only because it has a completely unnecessary twist at the end, an additional twist, which cheapens everything that came before. But when he's inside the game, he basically plays this horror game inside this haunted mansion. And it's truly scary. This game is truly scary. But he can pause it at any time because he knows that he's inside of a game. So there's some fun to being able to pause at any time, but then he still is in this completely realistic virtual world. So the horror is there, the comedy is there. This is a lot of fun, except for just this need sometimes. And here's where the criticism is going to start of this show, the need to put an extra button on the episode. It really didn't need it. And it hurts the episode to some extent, but overall well-made. And I know a lot of people like this episode a lot. Okay. Here's another episode that people really like a lot that I have significant problems with, but still definitely worthwhile. It's the very first episode of the fourth season 
of Black Mirror. It's an episode called USS Callister. And this episode stars an excellent Jesse Plemons. It's basically a Star Trek parody or pastiche. He is a video game designer, lives inside of this simulated video game, Star Trek, very Star Trek influenced, and basically has created virtual versions of his co-workers to inhabit this video game with him. And we see him outside of the video game. We see him inside the video game. There's a lot of fun to be had here. <laughs> Here's where I nitpick. I know some people love this episode, by the way. And I can understand if you kind of check your brain at the door, and I don't mean that disparagingly, that you can just kind of indulge in it and have a blast with it. And the special effects are great. And the Star Trek parody is so much fun, all of that. Here's my nitpick brain though. And I won't spoil it here <laughs> as usual, but the way this technology would work does, doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm going to have this complaint a lot in these le later episodes. I, it just all falls apart as soon as you think, but wait a second, how, what? <laughs> it, it just doesn't make any sense. But everything inside of that Star Trek world is a lot of fun. Oh, I'd like to shout out Billy Magnuson again. So funny whenever he's anything. If you've ever seen Game Night, great in Game Night. So much fun here again. Okay, that's 11 of them. Back in season three, here's another episode that many people like. The third episode of season three, the premise of the episode is that a boy, we see him early in the episode, is pleasuring himself in front of his TV. We don't actually see this, but it's implied. And then someone has captured this video and is basically tormenting him by making him do more and more antisocial things to keep this video from getting leaked. We've definitely seen very sad stories of teenagers being bullied online with sexual content that they might have shared intentionally or accidentally. And this, for most of its running time, is a really tense, really nightmarish and believable scenario. And for all those reasons, I think a lot of people do like this episode. For me, the ending is so, again, adding, it's just such a hat on a hat. It's like we get it and then it has to add another twist. And basically the episode to a large extent loses a lot of it, what worked for, worked for it in those last few moments. And it feels like it's just so bleak for the sake of just having a bleak ending. So a point to make here is that most of these are written with Charlie Brook, by Charlie Brooker, by himself. Sometimes he does bring in writing partners, like as we mentioned, Jesse Armstrong for that one episode. I think it works better when he has a writing partner. Although some of these very best episodes I've mentioned before were written by him alone. But then I think he needs a strong director to make the material work. Someone who just leans completely into the dark joke or just works towards the punchline. The best episodes really find some humanity or some humor or something along the way rather than just getting to the punchline. This one actually works excellently until then. It's almost as if the director is at cross purposes with the script because it's almost like that stuck on finale seems unnecessary and is just deflates a lot of what happened earlier. Still an interesting episode. And I would say I'm going to get pretty negative on most of the episodes coming from this point on. They're always worth watching, even when I think they completely fail, even when I think they're actually bad episodes. And I would say, hey, you want to skip this one? You can skip it. They're still at its core, an interesting idea. And that one, by the way, was called Shut Up and Dance once again from season three. All right. Another misfire. This should have been a slam dunk. And I know a lot of people like this one too, but not a fan of this one. The final episode of season four is called Black Museum. I think the reason that this has very high user ratings is because it contains in it one incredible story. It was written by Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller, the tall one. And it's about somebody who gets addicted to pain and can experience pain by wearing this device. It's supposed to actually be 
an empathy device, but it gets addicted to the pain. It, this is really twisted and really well executed, uh, but pretty grotesque as well in the context of this episode, but very clever, actually. Uh, the rest of the stories in this Black Museum, oh, once again, just to get into the premise of it, someone shows up at this museum in the middle of the desert. This is maybe the first time, I believe the first time in the, season, the series itself that we imply that this is all happening within a shared universe, that these stories are all happening in one shared universe. This museum curator walks around explaining the stories behind some of these devices. Some of them, they're like these little winks to things we've seen in previous seasons. And some of them are introduced here. Uh, the pain addiction or the pain addict, as it's called, the uh, segment is the highlight. But in general, I feel like the episode just goes on too long. Most of the segments don't work for me. And the ending is kind of obvious, even though it's supposed to be a twist, but it's like the most obvious twist you could possibly imagine. I won't spoil it again. Your mileage may vary beyond mine because I found it a little boring and too long, but it does have highlights. So that's Black Museum. And, and like I mentioned, this is actually one of the highest rated episodes. So you may very much enjoy just the fact that it's an omnibus and you get all these different stories within a story, very similar to that White Christmas episode I mentioned before. You may appreciate it in the same way. Okay, it's all downhill from here. My 14th episode is the very first episode, if you watched in sequence, it's called The National Anthem. It has a very intriguing premise. A princess in the UK, very popular on social media, is kidnapped and is going to be executed unless the prime minister does a humiliating sex act on camera. And at first, everyone thinks it's a joke, it's just a troll. But as the clock keeps ticking down, it seems more and more likely that's going to happen. I think that this episode is actually a really strong episode on paper, in execution. It just doesn't quite work. It feels long, even though it's really not that long. It has a very satisfying resolution. There are definitely big pluses on it. For some reason, it just doesn't work for me, but you may appreciate this. And by the way, this is such a dark episode that, like I mentioned, since it was the very first one, maybe that's my bias towards it still to this day, was that I saw it first and I'm like, really? This is what everybody's talking about. And uh, just the, the grimness of it, the darkness of the content caught me off guard. <laughs> Although I'm sure there's been much darker episodes of Black Mirror since then, for sure. And that's called the National Anthem. And it's the very, very first episode of this, this the whole series. All right, next is Archangel. This is from season four. And this really speaks to something that I think started happening in season four, even more pronounced in season five. A real mixed bag, interesting concepts, and then issues and execution. This is about a technology in which parents can monitor everything their child does, can actually see what they're seeing at any, at any given time. You can actually set up parental controls. So for example, you block out any kind of violence, you block out any kind of pornography, let's say, and you can control what they're allowed to see. I know parents uh, in my social circle that would love to have technology like this. And then you have this terrifying consequence where, for example, whenever she's looking at a YouTube video, someone shows her a video of some kind of violence, it all gets blurred out automatically. And then when she commits violence, she can't see what she's doing because it's blocked out from her own vision. So she can't even understand the consequences of her own actions because she hasn't been exposed to any of it previously. So it's the negative outcomes of overly supervising our children. This is directed by Jodie Foster, by the way, very well directed. The relationship between the daughter and the mother is excellent. You see how caring they are with each other. And yet the mother is doing this very damaging thing to her daughter in her own need to overly supervise her. And about the halfway point, it just starts to go around in circles and 
It doesn't really pay off as well as it should. It's a good episode. It could have been a great episode, and that's probably why I'd rank it here near the bottom. Or it's really in the middle, but definitely strong in many places. Rosemary DeWitt playing the mom, good performances, great direction by Jodie Foster, as I mentioned, but just mm, doesn't quite work. But man, it could have been a great, it could have been a home run. I just feel like this is where Brooker maybe needed more assistance on the script. All right, number 16 is an episode from season three called Men Against Fire. And our protagonist here is a soldier and he is exterminating these monsters, basically like zombie-like creatures that are swarming into the country. And he's part of this squadron that is murdering all these people. And of course, there's a big twist here, which I won't give away. There's a lot of good action here. Sarah Snook from Succession, by the way, is in this episode. This is a very well-made episode. The action's very good. The twist you see coming a mile away, and there is a bit of a poignant final moment, a button on the episode. So this is still a good episode, a little obvious in its execution, but still on the good list. They could have done more with this concept. Okay, we're starting to slide into bad territory here. A lot of this is going to be from episodes from season four and five. Okay, with season four, as I mentioned, you start off with USS Callister, that's Star Trek parody. A lot of fun, but a little lazy on the scripting. There's a giant plot holes here. The concept falls apart for me. Archangel, on paper, sounds great. It's too long. Doesn't do enough with its premise. Ends up a little flat. And then we have Crocodile. Now, this episode gets off to a great start, and it features Andrew Riseborough giving one of the best performances of anybody in Black Mirror history. But we have an insurance agent investigating a minor traffic accident involving Andrea Riseborough. And in collecting information about this crime, these investigators have the ability of capturing images from cameras and from all different kinds of recorded devices, including being able to read your own memories right from your mind or recreate them through this device. This minor crime starts to reveal a dark secret in Andrea Riseborough's past that we saw earlier in the episode. And this unraveling just keeps compounding and compounding. There's a lot of suspense. There's this great performance, as I mentioned. There's this beautiful, icy backdrop to the entire episode, all shot in this winter locale somewhere, Sweden or Norway, I'm not sure. But what should have maybe culminated at the end is revealed too early in the episode. And then it goes down this incredibly bleak direction, which then would work as this kind of incredible noir in a way of these horrible negative outcomes. And then when you've already burned out on this one note cynicism, which could have potentially worked baby if it had been executed in a slightly better way, we then have this preposterous <laughs> finale that once again, I won't spoil, but the way that whole story resolves is just cheap and it just cheapens everything that came before. And this is probably the first episode where I'm like, all right, I don't even know if I can recommend this one. Although once again, with this show, Maybe the first two thirds of it is really solid stuff, like really solid, <laughs> but it really just loses all its goodwill by the end for me anyway. But in general, I think this is not a very well-regarded episode. Okay. Next on my list is the movie. There's this choose your own adventure movie called Bandersnatch. You can play this episode for dozens of hours. I think my wife and I only did two or three different scenarios and we ended up on one very tragic scenario that worked for us after the first couple 
really not being satisfying in any possible way and probably unintentionally so. And I've never gone back to it to get the correct ending. There is this framing device where at the end, someone's giving a review of a video game and depending on their review, between one and five stars, it's your outcome, whether you got how correct you were with your ending. I think my ending had a three or three and a half star ending and it was a pretty tragic ending and pretty satisfying in a sad way. And then I didn't go back and try to explore everything. And part of that was I read a spoiler article and they say, here's how you get to the five star. Other than the ending we came up with, the film had been relentlessly bleak, relentlessly dark. And what the revelation of that article was that you had to make the worst possible choices. Like you need to be a true sociopath <laughs> to have gotten to that five star resolution. And that was just so cynical to me that I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to bother. <laughs> and also, by the way, it dings the whole project for me as well. And that's Bandersnatch. If you grew up loving those choose your own adventures, you've probably seen other choose your own adventure style stories on Netflix, mostly for kids shows, by the way. But it's similar to that where you get to choose. Do you want to make this decision or that decision? Unlike some of those episodes where there's really only like two or three outcomes, this really had dozens and dozens and dozens of web-like stories you could explore. And what I would say, on the one hand, they've created so much vari so many variables. I can only imagine how difficult this was to plot this all out. Congratulations for them for that. But I found even in my three or four goes through of the story, I didn't find the story that interesting, to be honest. All right, we get to the last five, and three of those five are from the fifth season, the most recent season of the series, which is still now a whole four years ago. It doesn't feel like that for me. I mean, it's incredible to see that that was four years ago. Incredible. So the best of this bottom bunch is Striking Vipers, the first episode of this most recent season from 2019, starring Anthony Mackie, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, and Nicole Bahari. And the concept of this episode is that these two friends who start hanging out together again, primarily by gaming together, and there's this new game they've been wanting to play for a really long time, and it's so realistic, it's like you inhabit the bodies of these fighting characters. And this technology is so impressive that once you're inside of the game, you can feel yourself getting hit, you can feel yourself being touched. So, hmm, maybe you could have sex in this game also. <laughs> And then this episode on its positive side asks some really interesting questions. What happens when you are unfaithful within the context of a game? Is that fantasy or is that really cheating? If it feels real, then where does the fantasy end and the reality begin? And also, what about identity within the game itself? If you can skin yourself as another character, then what does it say about your sexual identity? Or once again, is just this a new extension of fantasy or does it actually change your identity? So it raises some really interesting questions and at times it explores them in some interesting ways, but in general, it does not. And here comes nitpick Victor's brain again. The idea that this video game would work so well that it would allow you to fully inhabit another body and have these intimate relationships in the context of a fighting game, that doesn't make any sense at all. This would just become <laughs> a sexual surrogate software game, right? It would not be a fighting game. And if it was a fighting game, why would you need to have that level of intimacy built into the technology? <laughs> None of this makes any sense to me at all. It really, really hurt 
<laughs> my appreciation of the episode because I keep asking these questions rather than appreciating what is there. And for all those reasons, it really just didn't work for me. But yet it is the best of this lower bunch. Next up is all the way back from season two of the series, back in the original BBC days. It's an episode called The Waldo Moment. And this is, again, good concept, poorly executed. This is, came out in 2012 or 13, I believe. And it's about somebody who performs as an animated character. So they, they basically puppet an animated character, a pretty low-key comedian who's relatively shy in person, and then has this Cartman-like character where he just insults everybody, children, everybody, you name it. And then as a gag, asks to be included in a political debate as a stunt. Everybody writes him in, so he's allowed to participate. And he actually becomes the leader in this electoral race. And then he climbs the ranks as a politician. Conceptually, this is all very interesting. They do very, very little with it. And uh, that's why I think most people think this is, uh, to most people, this is the lowest ranked. I think on IMDb, this is the lowest ranked of all the episodes. And understandably, <laughs> it, but even there, even here, as bad as this episode is, and you could absolutely skip it, it still has a very interesting premise. And as I mentioned, to some extent, <laughs> social media has made this a reality in our world. Number 21 on this list of 23, Smithereens, once again, from this most recent season of the show. Another stinker here, we have an Uber driver who kidnaps somebody in his car, trying to get to the attention of a social media CEO played by Topher Grace, Andrew Scott, by the way, playing the driver. And we discover that something happened to his girlfriend, wife, don't remember exactly who, someone very close to her, to him, and blames the CEO for the outcome and is threatening some violence to get national attention. And Topher Grace's CEO character, who's out in the desert, currently meditating, gets drawn into this. Topher Grace, very entertaining in this. Andrew Scott does a relatively good performance as well in what he can with the, the part. But this really just goes nowhere other than raising this question, which is a legitimate one about the culpability of social media when these type of things happen. And these honest questions that Andrew Scott's character asks himself over the course of the show. So it raises questions, it explores them somewhat, it has some complexity to it. But this is my criticism of all of these lower episodes. Having an interesting concept and raising good questions is not an episode of television. It needs to go somewhere. There has to be a reason for telling the story, not just like, hey, do you ever think about this? The end. <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not a show. That's just, that's an outline. We're going back to the only remaining episode of four, season four, that we haven't talked about yet. Metalhead, unanimously, I think for most people, low on the list. This is an action horror episode of the show, maybe the only one in the, in the series, directed by David Slade shot in beautiful black and white. It is the shortest episode, I think, of the series. Barely more than half an hour, I think, maybe 35 minutes minus credits. And like a Terminator, but with a dog, they have a protagonist who simply is being chased down by this dog-like robot. And the action is really, really good here, but it is just this relentless chase. And we wait for that twist at the end to explain why we just watched all of this. And it finally comes... And it is so dumb. <laughs> it is so dumb that whatever minor acceptability this episode has in just being stylish and having some pretty good suspense is completely undone by this unbelievably stupid finale. Sometimes you don't need a twist. It should have had a twist to make this episode even worthwhile. You got to come up with a half-decent twist at least. 
And then you get to the very last episode, the very worst episode. I think everybody agrees on this. I'm not an outlier in this case. Sometimes I can be a contrarian, but not in this case. The worst episode of the entire series is also the most recent one we've seen. It's the Miley Ray Cyrus episode, Rachel Jack and Ashley too. And this is somewhat interesting. It's the idea of these girls who desperately look up to this pop icon played by Miley Ray Cyrus, who turns out to have a much darker home life. And there is a new robot that they can befriend that's been launched. And it's a friend to this lonely girl, but at one point becomes inhabited by the actual Ashley character. Anyway, conceptually exploring modern celebrity culture, befriending AI, some of this makes some sense. But the plot here is so ridiculous, the logistics of how they're able to... Uh, the whole. I mean, this could have been fun if they if it had a much lighter tone because the girls basically become like Nancy Drew here trying to rescue this pop star. There definitely could have been some fun had here, but boy, <laughs> this thing does not work. I mean, it could have. I mean, it honestly could have. This script doesn't work. It has too many components. This technology that their dad's designed seems preposterous. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make sense from a logical standpoint. It doesn't offer any insight into what is ostensibly a somewhat interesting concept. You could really skip this one. Miley Cyrus is fine though. She's, and I should say all the performances are actually pretty fine. And there are some interesting ideas here, but man, you could totally skip this episode. Definitely not. And honestly, just the fact that this most recent season had some interesting ideas and couldn't fully deliver, Striking Vipers probably being the most successful at it, and then getting only three episodes, and then coming off of Bandersnatch, which was also pretty disappointing. And when you think about the later episodes in season four, we're already kind of falling off. This was a rough, rough trajectory for this show that I was so enthusiastically waiting for. So now they've taken four years off, four whole years off. So I do hope that these five episodes will be better than those final three. And if we have to wait another four or five years, hopefully these will be more satisfying to tide us over in the meantime. So how will they do? How will they place on my rankings? Tune in next week and I'll give you my reviews and I'll re-rank my list. And if you've seen all of Black Mirror or whatever you have seen of Black Mirror, send me your top five, top 10 lists, whatever you prefer, or rank them all if you'd like. Email me at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. And what I'll do is I'll consolidate your votes. I'd be very curious to know what your rankings are and how they match up with mine. So we'll find out next week. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I'll talk to you soon.